0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Braintree. If you're working on a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com supertrain. <clears throat> Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your
1: voice. It sounds really clear and crisp and present. I'm always trying to up my game. Mm, what have you done?
0: Well, you know, I brushed my teeth. Uh, had uh, two or three coffees. I've had uh, had some Altoids. Oh, oh! I can and, smell them from here. Mmm. Mm, I know. You know, i I. You know, I try. You know, not that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's podcasting. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, doesn't that seem like drop bits? Like, do you really need to try that hard?
1: You know. Uh, do you remember when uh, when when the when the Pearl Jam first arrived on the scene? Mm-hmm. And do you remember that music video for the one about the kid that kills everybody in his in his class? Lemon yellow sun because they don't because he hit me with a surprise whatever. lift here I'm in there. <laughs> of course, and, uh, I do. That
0: was yeah. a great video.
1: Yeah, great video. Very, very, uh, very, very evocative. Very evocative, current. Poignant. I think it was. Uh, it was. It was about issues. It definitely was about issues. But I remember the. I remember most distinctly. See, I didn't have a tv then as now
0: but uh but i did see that video a lot because it was I just, on just lot. for my records you, you don't you don't have a tv at all right now
1: well it's not that i don't have a tv i have a tv that i um i have a one of those giant uh, cathode ray tube tvs that was given to me by my next door neighbor okay all right That I, that i haven't you know that's not plugged in but i can't get rid of because nobody
0: wants okay so, I mean, I I own one. It's I, just not connected to anything. I don't, I don't make you sensitive about it. Okay, continue. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, then, as now, you didn't own a TV. Right. Or, rather, then I didn't own a TV. Now I own a TV. Mm. I'm a TV owner. But I'll bet you didn't have cable, especially.
1: Well, I don't have cable now, and I didn't have cable then. You're a cord cutter. Clipped it. Clipped it. However, I did see that video a lot because mtv was still in its waning days of of um ubiquity and i remember thinking what is he doing what is eddie vetter mr vetter what is he doing with his teeth why is he baring his teeth why is he showing them to me mm. yeah with the big rah, like and those big those big saucer eyes yeah but all the it was all the teeth that, that 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 freaked me out and scared me all the ah big 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 like uh teeth mouth mm. and um it was a style of singing that he was broadcasting that i had that i prior to that didn't know you know I knew the like open your mouth big and I knew the hey, who but like he his mouth isn't open. Like it's not open wide. It's just that his lips are open wide. Mm -hmm. He's like teething you. Mm. So then I was in the recording studio many years later and I was singing a song and I was like singing the song. But I was just singing it, you know, normal, like sort of in my in my mouth, in my brain. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: it just doesn't sound articulate enough. It didn't have the clarity that I wanted. It just sounded like I was bored. And so, for whatever reason, I started to sing with the Eddie Vedder. Like, can you hear? Can you hear the difference? I'm like, I'm talking right now, and then I'm I'm talking like this, and it's Ooh. and it, it like brightened it up with the you just peel your
0: lips back off of your teeth, and you all sound, of a you, sudden, sound, you sound relevant, like you've had yeah, enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, it's just like I've got all this energy and this stuff to say because ah, my my lips aren't in the way of what. Of what my teeth are trying to tell you, and so, and I just, I, and then I just had all this uh, sort of aggressive energy in the song, and I realized that uh, that you can convey so much by just how like tight your lips are, and how like much you ah get them off your teeth, man, get them off. Hmm. So anyway, that's what you sounded like early. When, you first, when, I, when I first picked up the phone, I was like, whoa, Merlin's really baring his teeth today.
0: Oh, you think I'm being intense? No, no, not intense, but like good, like, hmm.
1: like you know, the present.
0: I'm interested in face shapes. Hmm. Um, you know, my mom uh, was in sales and she said uh, something she did when she was doing her real estate was whenever she would speak to someone on the phone, she would smile. And that when you wow. when you smile while you're speaking to someone, it's telegraphed to the phone. You, you you sound a little like a crazy clown. But if you try try smiling when you're talking, and you sound yeah. happier
1: <laughs> when you smile,
0: the whole world. Oh my God! Listen you. to you. You sound so happy. Right. I mean, it's just right there in your in your face. You're relevant now in a different way.
1: Super smiley, like ready to sell some real estate. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I I I don't do that enough, and and there are lots of people that smile all the time. They're just their faces are just. They just learn to smile all the time.
0: Well, you know, this week on uh, Ping Pong Corner, uh, I'm going to tell you that when I moved to San Francisco, I had noted to a friend of mine that in my largely predominantly Chinese neighborhood and mostly older Chinese people, I was really struck by um, – this is just – you know, again, this is the kind of thing you say when you live in a city. I'm just telling it like it is. But like um, the Chinese people, especially the older Chinese people in my my neighborhood, do not engage – They sometimes engage with one another, but you don't see it a lot in public. And they very rarely make eye contact with or talk to people. And I I was a little thrown off, right? Because I'm from, at that point, North Florida. I'm used to, and even in the rest of San Francisco. I mean, shit, man, people are joining each other's conversations on street corners in San Francisco all the time. It's a very social town. So I was kind of struck by that. And I I said this to a friend of mine. Did you, have you have you ever noticed this as well? And they're like, yeah, actually, I have. And they said, now I don't know if this is true, and forgive me if this is ping pong, but that supposedly uh, that the whole like smiling all the time for no reason is not a thing for Chinese people, that it's considered, I guess, maybe like insincere or maybe like reveal some kind of weakness, like you're on your back on your heels a little bit. I don't know if that's true, but some people smile a lot more than others, even when they're not happy. In, in North in, Florida, it, everybody smiles all the time. Well, right. And nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. They're in North Florida.
1: In my experience in Europe, which is the the majority of my overseas experience, uh, people over there consider Americans to be fairly insincere, not not just because we smile artificially and for no reason, but also that we uh, congratulate each other all the time and that we say things that are good ideas when they aren't. Right. And we just generally blow smoke up one another's asses as a form of politeness. And particularly in the in northern Europe, that is considered like a very American behavior and very like untrue.
0: I bet it makes you seem a little bit like a huckster.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. This kind of this this sense of like that an American is trying to sell you something, he's trying to put one over on you. Right and particularly like the Germans and the Dutch do not feel like they need to be complimented. They want to be told the straight story and the, and the Danes seem to be similar. So, I mean, and down in the, down in like the Mediterranean countries, it's not, it's not so true. They have different culture, but for sure the different culture of like compliment and smile, but like in the North boy, I mean, I am not a particularly complimenty, effusive person. But the first couple of times I got off stage and came down and sat at the merch table and, like, it was a line of people and each one of them was like, that was not so bad.
0: Right. No, it's, and I was like, well, thanks. <laughs> I, I, I read this book uh, in the 90s um, uh, suggested by uh, – by by a friend's father, uh, a guy who did a lot of international travel. I think I learned about this book from him, or at least my interest came out of this. So he he traveled a lot to Japan, uh, a lot throughout Asia, and yes, also Europe, and was just talking about like the 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 cultural differences that you you really forget these things at your peril. And one of them that really struck me was so anyway, this this led me to read this book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. And it's basically a book for dingling Americans about things that might surprise you when you go to another country. And there's the things you've heard about, like don't show people the sole of your shoe oh. in like Saudi Arabia. Like there's things like that. There's all, don't, uh, don't, don't shake s- a left hand in Turkey.
1: Don't spit on the ground in Morocco, I can tell you. Or, <laughs> sure, don't do that
0: because I had a knife pointed at me. You're kidding? No, it was was, that's that's the equivalent of like taking a taking a poop on the sidewalk.
1: Well, no, it was it happened at a very inopportune time when I was young. I don't know if if you ever experienced this, but like I went through a phase where I
0: I was spitting all the time. Oh, I've had phases for sure. Yeah, where it was just like I'm just. I think every teenage boy. It's almost like a rite of passage. Boy, I'm talking in broad terms today. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot of teenage boys or preteen boys definitely go through a spitting thing. I see it in my neighborhood, there's a huge spitting culture in my neighborhood.
1: Yeah, and I I I find it disgusting. I don't even I can't even identify with where I was coming from at the time, but I just I just spit a lot. And I was in Morocco where that is already like not a good deal. And I was in a public market in Marrakesh and i was this is what made it awful i was actually negotiating with a guy oh dear that's got layers yeah so i'm sitting there and it's you know and i'm not i'm not in the the market i'm like out in front of the market kind of in a in an area where people have their wares out on blankets and i'm and i'm negotiating with the guy over a belt like hmm. a like a hold your pants up belt yeah and I just, at some point in the conversation, I just spit on the ground and he reacted violently and it became a big fracas. And I was like, "Ah, oh, Hey, no, I didn't, you know, I meant no offense. I was just, you know, I'm 20 years old and I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground. And, you know, and he's like <laughs> 30 seconds before he was like, you know, that's, It'll be 30, and I was like, ah, well, you take 20, and he was like, well, let's let's say 27, and I was like, why don't we do 24?
0: And, whoa. So and, so that was not just, like, bad hygiene, bad public ha- behavior. It was kind of a fuck you to him. Oh, it was some
1: kind of, and the thing was, I wasn't, he didn't make an offer and I spit on the
0: ground, like, it was it was just... Bad, co- bad timing, bad coincidence. Bad
1: timing, but boy, he really took it that way. And, uh, and I think that that. Well, I'd like to say that that was the last time I ever spit in front of somebody. But hmm. then I I moved to Seattle. A couple of years later, and I started
0: drinking lattes. Mm. Oh, I, that creates a lot of a lot of mucus.
1: Yeah, I'd never had a I'd never had a coffee before I came here. I was twenty what what was it twenty two? Never had a coffee, and then somebody handed me like a this pint glass full of half and half that had. <laughs> One <laughs> shot of espresso in it, and I was like, This is the greatest drink of all time, right? Why, what have I been missing? Like, I should have been sure drinking- this is are you sure this is coffee? <laughs> I should have been drinking that sanka this whole time. This stuff tastes amazing. And I, for like nine months, I drank four pints of half and half a day, and I was just hawking loogies <sighs> everywhere
0: until I realized that's not coffee, <laughs> that's yeah,
1: that's something else. That's a gateway. Drug. Oh,
0: buddy, you would love it in our neighborhood, you'll just be walking down the street. 65-year-old Chinese lady comes and just does a giant snot rocket out of nowhere. (laughs) Old farmer's hanky. Like my kid and I will be walking over with this, ka-cha, and just giant, runny, like nine-inch long uh, booger, like just hanging out there, heading toward the sidewalk. Oh, no boogers.
1: No boogers. I'm I'm so against boogers now.
0: Now here's the thing. Uh, I I used to think this was just a bit or just a joke, but uh, people from, I don't want to say the UK, I want to say from England in particular. I mean, you know, there is a very sophisticated level of code switching going on. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's exactly the right word. But but the thing is, you know, you've been to England. I've been to England. And you've obviously dealt with English people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had them in your car. Oh, boy. And, and the thing about the English people, by and large, especially people from London, I'm going to say, that I have met, is that there is a very – it is almost like North Florida in the sense that there is a lot that's encoded. In what people say and don't say. Oh, yes. Where there's a high high level of apparent civility masking a lot of aggression. Mm -hmm. Maybe not aggression, but like, Mm, there's like a a million ways to say, hmm, you didn't do that particularly well, did you? (laughs) You you would never just say that was shit or something like that. But, you know, it's, uh, in fact, there's that whole uh, Twitter account and book uh, called, what's it called? Uh, Like, it's called something like Weirdly British Problems. And Mm -hmm. it's all about, like, you know, the need to be ridiculously civil at all times, regardless of how you feel. So, like, you go into a retail store and, you know, the people who are working in there are incredibly civil, but not very nice and not very helpful. You know what I mean? It's, but that's, that's what you get used to. So, I, and I would, I would also stipulate that, like, I'm the fish out of water here. Like, I'm, I'm the weirdo. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say that the way I do things is the right way. It's just that it is jarring when you go somewhere where it's not how you expect it. Oh, another one from that, uh, that father, the business guy, was that he said when you go to Japan uh, for business, you usually go there for several days, and it's considered very rude to talk about business during the first day. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, you can tell, you tell me if you think that's true, but there's a lot of, like, sitting in, like, a hot bath together talking about family and stuff or like you would just have a day of golf where if you started bringing up the deal on the golf course on the first day, you would just look like a total rube.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I I feel like that should be the way that we do business here. You know, the way to do business is not talk about business. First rule of business. Yeah, don't talk about don't business. Talk about business. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> That's pretty good.
0: The, <laughs> the first rule of business.
1: The whole uh, – and it's all it's all tied up in class too, you know. I mean – if you're from London, but you were born within earshot of a certain set of church bells, uh, you, you have a very different take on this than if you went to the London school of economics. So that all of that sort of like insincerity, what what appears to us to be insincerity, but is really deeply encoded class behavior. Um, I mean, I, I can't make sense of it at all. And I have I have close enough friends in the UK that I have brought this up in, you know, sitting around the dinner table at night like, hey, something curious, when you say this, it appears to mean the opposite. And they kind of look at each other and go, what do you mean?
0: Right. It, it, they say something like, you say like, hey, do you want to go uh, sleep in a cabin for a week? And they say like, oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, right. Which, which means no fucking way do I want to go sleep in a cabin. Yeah and all that stuff and
1: you know and they're kind of they're hearing it for the first time. It's really like a hamburger hamburger bang bang. Yeah. Uh, where it had never occurred to them that the actual words they were using and in some ways the tone didn't line up with the meaning. Uh, so it's like so deeply ingrained. Right. And I'm sh- you know I'm sure in the US there are equivalent like uh incongruities but but because of our you know because of our wild west heritage because of andrew jackson Mm. we really tell it like it is in this country as long as what it is is a big fucking snow job that's Hmm. trying to get you that's trying to get your wallet as long as as long as that's what it is then we tell it like that
0: I was talking to somebody about this the other day that um, especially it feels like in the South, maybe in the Midwest, there's definitely – I always feel like there's a thing – not always, but I frequently feel like um, that is – that can be difficult to do without seeming rude. That Mm -hmm. there is a certain kind of accepted – like let's we we should ask about each other's families. Mm -hmm. Maybe you might even like ask – it's pretty common in lots of places to ask how's your health. Like Mm -hmm. there's all these kinds of things you ask that – kind of create the environment for having a, a more intimate conversation where you first talk about these things. And that, that, that is part of the standard opening gambit in a lot of conversations is, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about these kind of general things before we talk about these specific things.
1: Well, did you read that? art uh, that There was an editorial in the um, yeah, one of the newspapers. I'm not going to say it was the New York Times. It was probably, I don't know, yeah. one of those. There's only three newspapers anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. You, got, Pretty- uh, New, you got the New York Times, the Atlantic, and the other one.
1: Yeah, the New York Times, the the uh, the Washington Times, great newspaper.
0: That that sounds like one of those made up papers. Uh,
1: which Washington, really just a blog. The Washington Times it was for many years owned by Sung Young Moon. Oh right, 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 right. Who bought a newspaper and and you know tried to establish it as a serious journalistic enterprise that just happened to also be mm-hmm. a mouthpiece. Mouth- the of, Church of <laughs> Unification is that what yeah, was called. Yeah, Church of uh, Yeah. Unification Church, I guess. Uh, but this editorial was a review, somewhat a review, of George Herbert Walker Bush's new autobiography.
0: Yes. Not great timing for Junior. Not great timing
1: for Junior, where the potter, the the Potter
0: George. am sorry. Walker, I shouldn't say Junior. I should say, what would he betray? What would he, uh, he call Jeb? Was well, Jeb like his?
1: Jeb is, yeah. not Anyway. John.
0: John. John Walker Bush,
1: Mm -hmm. Jeb. Mm. Um, But Bush Senior, like rips Bush, like uh, George Walker Bush, G Dub, Mm -hmm. rips him a new one. Says what we've all been thinking: like, why did you cede so much power to
0: Cheney? He's a madman. Rumsfeld is. How could you not? How could you be in the room with Donald Rumsfeld and be comfortable with that? Yeah,
1: right. Well, and the thing is, I mean. Rumsfeld and and George Herbert Walker Bush had decades of history together. They ran against each other for the Republican presidential primary in, what, 80, 76? Rumsfeld,
0: Rumsfeld ran for president?
1: Well, he was considered a real comer. Like, huh. he'd been part of the Nixon White House. He was – he Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld believes – I think this is part of Rumsfeld pro, Rumsfeld's problem and part of the reason that he belongs in the bottom of a salt mine <laughs> – is that he believes that he should have been president. He thinks of himself that way. And there's enough history. He has enough... He has actually a claim to believe that that was plausible and possible. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the young upstart. And he uh, he went after George Herbert Walker Bush in the 70s, really denigrating him. And so those two guys... That's when, had, that's when he was in the CIA? Well, when... I think he went after him even before he got appointed to the CIA. But like there was a lot of rivalry and they Mm -hmm. were shitty to each – I'm sorry, shitty to each other. Most of that shit coming from Rumsfeld who was the – he's very Trump-like, Rumsfeld.
0: He is but he also – I remember like I would would watch him speak and I would always think even in his his famous known and unknown, um, one of the most obfuscating paragraphs in English language history. But you really appreciate on the one hand the guy is super articulate and on message whether or not you agree with him he's great at staying on message and he really has that vibe he looks like a composite drawing of like a bunch of successful powerful people he looks like like if if uh if like Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson had a love baby and he just has that like dad or grandpa vibe where like even if you think what he's saying is bullshit he seems really he seems really committed and smart yeah which is, I, a, which is a dangerous thing for a man like him I always felt like his his back teeth were all made of wood. <laughs> <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. To learn more right now, please visit braintreepayments.com/supertrain. Listen, if you're a mobile app developer, you've got to check out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight. See, I'm counting on my fingers here. Living Social and Montreal. these are all terrific places. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps seamless and magical, and now you can add a similar experience to your own app. Did you know that? With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly, and Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared as you grow from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is helping solve the problem of mobile card abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. You have to check this out for yourself. Braintree gives you a full stack payment solution at support for all payment types your customers might want. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with a single integration across all platforms with superior fraud protection, customer service, and you heard it, buddy, fast payouts. To learn more, and for your first fifty thousand dollars in transactions fee free, please go and visit BraintreePayments dot com slash SuperTrain. And our thanks to Braintree for taking the pain out of mobile payments, and for supporting Roderick on the line. Right, and they were held together with like, like
1: bands of titanium. And
0: maybe maybe that annoyed him a little bit.
1: Mm, yeah, he's like he, he, that he, was in his mouth all the time. Soft wood back there. Ugh. So, so, Bush Senior is saying all this stuff in his autobiography and somebody goes to Bush Jr. for a comment and Bush Jr. is like, well, he never said any of that in the eight years that I was president or the two years I was running for president beforehand, never mentioned it before. And I disagree with him. I was the president. I was the decider. I didn't, Cheney didn't get to do just what he wanted I was the boss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Meanwhile, Cheney is like
0: uh-huh. got a
1: seven sided lighthouse made of dreams <laughs> that's surrounded by machine gun nests.
0: <laughs> and the you couldn't you could not write a creepier supervillain than Cheney.
1: Oh, oh my god! I, I, I remember
0: when he had the naval observatory naval oh. observatory taken off Google Maps.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, blurred out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you know, God forbid that they w-
1: we would see his hedges
0: or something. <laughs> well, he didn't understand how it worked, right? His Google man map- his man size safe.
1: <laughs> Google Earth takes a picture every 6 months and puts it up there. Uh-huh. And he thinks that, you know, they're going to catch him in the gardeners.
0: <laughs> Wearing flip-flops or something.
1: But and I think the 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 this article that I read was written by Maureen O'Dowd who's obviously like been a great critic. Uh, a great media critic for many years, but she was like this wasp family has, didn't talk about this stuff at Christmas. Like your, your father was president. Your son is president now Mm -hmm. and you're not going to bring up the fact that, that you, (laughs) you think that these people are, are a bad choice. Like, you, both the father and the son went to war with the same Middle Eastern dictator, and they never discussed it? Right. And, and, and that is, like, such a distinctively WASP
0: uh, methodology, right? That just, like... Christmas can be stressful. Christmas, you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes you just want to play Uno or watch, you know, The Price is Right because yep. there are things, there are so many elephants in the room that you really need a card game to keep it all straight. It's true. It, it's just that it
1: it really, really drove home, really put an exclamation point on the fact that the Bush family should never have been in power in America. They are bad people. And it was a bad time. It was a bad decision that we made repeatedly for reasons I cannot and I don't think history will ever be able to fully explain. But like unsuited to rule ex- by any measure except that they are aristocratic. And uh, George, Herbert, George w- Herbert Walker Bush at least was like patriarchal in the old mode. So he had a sense of – This is 41. Yeah, he had a sense of honor and duty and wasn't going to say a bad thing about a woman and wasn't going to, you know, wouldn't uh, wouldn't do a stock deal where the SEC didn't sign off on it, at least, you know, but then his son was just a like a brat and a and a shit, just a shit. There's no other way you can describe George Walker Bush GW Bush than that. He is a shit. He's just a shit. And he was president for eight years, and it's insane. It still is insane. Mm-hmm. I'm I am talking with my teeth bared right now. I can hear it. It's not you sound committed. I am so mad that he was ever president. And this is a nonpartisan issue. It is not
0: that he is a conservative Republican because I don't even think he is one. Well, it's, it's, one, it's, it's, one thing to, it's one thing to say I didn't enjoy the roast beef tonight and it's another thing to say like I'm pretty sure they deliberately tried to poison us. And like there's this conversation like from the time Obama uh, came in, there's been this this feeling of like let's not rock the boat. But it is kind of strange that there has not been quite the public explosion of outrage over what a shit show that whole thing
1: was. Oh my god. I want these people held accountable. I want them to go into a chipping container in the desert that I have constructed. And I want to feed them. That's
0: right. You had a whole idea for Cheney, didn't you? I want to feed them psychedelic drugs in (laughs) an environment where I can control. You had a saw type uh, situation, a long term, long con, long mind fuck in mind for, uh, I forgot about this. You did. That was your whole idea for the the former vice president.
1: Oh, I still dream of it. And the thing is, I don't want, I want to extend (laughs) the franchise all the way to Lawrence Eagleburger. (laughs) Mm. I want them all. I want them all. I want every neocon. And I will just – uh, the thing is, it is a long con. I will take them over the course of months and years.
0: For the gaslighting uh, to really work, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a very, very, very long con. It's not something where you're going to uh, fool a lady by turning the lights off sometimes. We're talking about – you're talking about like maybe you get him a little healthy. You, you get him get him on a diet. You get him mm-hmm, using a treadmill. Mm-hmm. But like you're just – it's a little, little bit of fuck at a time over like uh, two to 35 years.
1: The problem is that the, cha- the challenge for me. Like I feel like Lawrence Eagleburger will be easy to grab. Like you just say, you're, oh, you're, the, you are going to get a knock
0: on the door, my friend.
1: <laughs> the, the University of New Hampshire uh, is offering you fifteen thousand dollars to talk about uh, Riyadh, like the polit- current politics in Riyadh. Will you come? And Lawrence Eagleburger being like, absolutely. And then he, he just shows up and he opens the door to the conference room and there's nobody there. And then somebody puts a bag over his head and <laughs> stop! all of a sudden,
0: please stop. All of a please sudden, stop! he's in
1: a shipping container in the desert truly truly extraordinary rendition but cheney has already thought of that right <laughs> cheney has he already does. he's already he's prepared he knows no <laughs> one's ever going to put a bag over cheney's head because he's the fucking penguin right <laughs> he's he's thought of that already and rumsfeld too right mm-hmm. they both they they check their six they've got a man stationed at their six So how the fuck do you get these guys? Mm. And the thing is, you know, there's there's the fight club thing where they go to the bathroom. They're at a Rotary Club meeting or whatever, and they go to the bathroom, and then all of a sudden Brad Pitt is there, and they threaten to cut off his balls. Hmm. But that's not going to work for these guys either. The bathroom is secured before they go in there. Mm. So what do you do? What do you do? There's... With hmm. Cheney, I feel like oh he's out. Why are you, he's, what are you
0: doing? Please he's stop.
1: fly. He's fly oh. fishing, right? He's fly fishing. He's got with, the got the Tony Stark heart he, <laughs> keeping he alive and, at this point. He and Scalia are like uh, wearing hip waders, and they're in some Montana s- stream. the s- The hills aren't I'm shooting, shooting immigrants for skeet. <laughs> ah! oh, the, oh, ah! the hill. The hills are full of snipers, right? Because Scalia and Cheney aren't going to go just. Take a truck out and find a river, right? Mm-mm. It's going to be That's sur- going to be completely perimeterized. <sighs> wow! But I've been waiting in the river. Oh dear! Right for weeks. Mm-hmm. You're black ops. Every every summer, I just pick a different river. And I just uh, get, get my snorkel gear on, and I'm in the river until you look, you look
0: like a reed with a lily pad. That's exactly right. Until
1: that year when they picked the wrong river.
0: <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> um i might be misremembering this but uh i i feel like uh in the in the last days of the what would that be 1992 campaign uh it got really really ugly because i think i feel like i remember it, it started to really look like clinton had a lock on it and do you remember what uh george hw bush like do you remember how he got Cause he had always been, I you know, say what you will about the guy. I get the feeling he's probably a gentleman. Like you would meet George H. W. Uh, Bush. And I, I bet he's, I bet he's a uh, uh, super smarter than he seems. I bet he's not as. I bet like a lot of people who are president, like they're like really good people. People, but like, and didn't he do like a whistle stop train thing where he mm. was he was just a public dick for like three weeks before the campaign, before the uh, the, the election? <laughs> but you, and the thing is, it was like you could watch him, and it was it was almost like in face off. Where Nicolas Cage is supposed to be John Travolta, and you can see him going like, "I've got to kill people and act like a dick." this is really hard to do. You can see like he's like he went to Yale; he's a gentleman. Like he does not want to be behaving this way. But I'm sure all of his handlers were saying, "Look, man, you got to take off the gloves, or you're going to have to move out." Mm Hmm. And it was hard to watch. I felt I I felt bad for the guy, even as I was like disgusted by it. Well, so off brand. um It felt very off brand. My uncle went to college
1: poppy bush they were in college at the same time and they knew one another
0: this is yale
1: yeah and you know my uncle was tapped for skull and bones and said no oh boy um and not to not to out uncle jack but he did not like poppy bush in college for all the reasons that we don't like him now, he was a snob, he was a prick, and um, was exactly the preppy, uh, like class conscious, rich kid that you would imagine, except this was 1948.
0: Well, so wait. Now, wasn't he? He was in World War II. So yeah. he went to college. Oh, it was the GI Bill. He went after. Yeah, right. They all did. Okay. That particular
1: generation. He probably passed. didn't need the GI Bill, though. Didn't need the GI Bill. He was going to yeah. Yale anyway. But, you know, and this was, and the, uh, when I think back to that particular time, 46, 48, you know, that class of 50, let's say, there were some people in that class who had just turned 18 and we're going to college and the war was over. And then there were other people in that class who were 24 years old, had become a cat, you know, like a, like a first lieutenant in the Navy and had just dis- had won the distinguished flying cross and been shot down over Terregidor. Corregidor, sorry, torregador That's a kind of spice that you put in your, so, not a r- r- rookie mistake. <laughs> Corregator. <sighs> and, uh, and so you're sitting in class, and that guy's a freshman too. He's, he's wearing, you know, he, 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 uh, the, the French government gave him the Legion of Honor, but he's like taking the same freshman philosophy class as you, who just graduated from high school. That had to be a crazy time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That had to be a weird time to pledge a fraternity.
0: Right, like, well, let's see, we could take you or we could take this guy that He's has the, the president of uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon, graduated as a member of Phi Beta Kappa, 1948, with a BA, BA in economics.
1: Phi Beta Kappa, so that's, so he was, um, you know, he got good grades.
0: Mm-hmm. He was but, on an accelerator program to graduate in two and a half years rather than four. But as you know, the rich people
1: can pay for anything. They can pay. They can get you on Phi Beta
0: Kappa. We're making
1: a lot of friends this week. You know what I mean? Yeah, the professor's not going to give you a bad grade if you're if you're you know if you're padding their nest. Everybody's on the take mm. at Yale. Can <laughs> we <laughs> fucking break? You think so? Oh yeah, that's not a meritocracy. Yeah, it's, a corrupt,
0: it's a corrupt organization.
1: It, by by very, by their very nature, the Ivy Leagues allow you know they let in. That certain like fifteen percent of just legacy uh, kids and their folks just buy them in. the The thing is that that's true. I think of most
0: colleges. Yeah.
1: You know. And so, if they think, think Hodgman, true, I think
0: Hodgman bought his way in.
1: No, no, no. I mean, I, I try and imagine Hodgman and Colton at their respective high schools. Mm-hmm. And no, they were both uh, they were both nerds. They got good grades.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Colton is a legacy. His father went to Yale and his grandfather. Oh, I didn't know that. But he also grew up in a really weird, small, small Connecticut town with a high school graduating class of like 40 or something. And so in a situation like that, like I was talking to Hodgman about this the other day. He's like, the problem is if your kids want to go to an Ivy league school and they live in New York, you can pretty much say, forget it unless you're rich because, those schools fill those fill those slots based on a kind of, you know, we need one uh we need one Athabascan and we need somebody from New Mexico and we have seventeen thousand applications from Park Slope, Brooklyn. <laughs> and so it's the Brooklyn people that aren't going to have a chance at it. If you are from a small town somewhere if you're the only, the only person in your high school class, you have a much better chance because you'll fulfill their, you know, their demographic spread. So I think I think both those guys, you know, earned that. But how do you, you know, how do you know really? I, when I when I wanted to go to Yale, which I desperately did, hmm. desperately did. Was that the school you most wanted to go to? It was the only college that I wanted to go to. And when I graduated from high school, I had not applied to any colleges because the only college I wanted to go to was Yale and I knew I couldn't get in. So, why would I? What was I going to do? Go to the University of Pennsylvania? Forget about it. Safety school. Fuck no. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, wasn't going to go to Middlebury,
0: Brown, sit up there really? Somewhere
1: and just fucking play lacrosse. Fucking Brown. I'm not, I'm not a safety
0: school guy. I'm not going to go to Rutgers. You're you're headed for great things. Yeah, Why settle so, for second best? So everybody said, knew you were going places, John. Not, <laughs> said, not, 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 not not everybody. Not to say that you know you did graduate literally last in your class in high yeah, school, but yeah. you know you might be one of those uh, you know uh, th- three to five percent. Let's just give the kid a chance. We'll bring him into Yale. This is the thing
1: I thought wh- when you're if you really want a demographic spread, yeah, you ought to right, bring every once in a while, uh, <laughs> every once in a while, ought to pick a guy that not only graduated last in his class but also didn't apply.
0: Yeah. Oh, did apply good. to your school, right? You they like, come to give you the tap. They say yeah. come on yeah. over this way. That's your demographic spread. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like
1: it's like when I when I got involved here in local politics recently, you might have heard of it. How'd that go? Uh, you know, it was it was a learning experience. It was a learning experience. <laughs> and w- one of the things that I <laughs> learned was uh people of uh, people from a great wide swath of uh, like the the great demographic swath if they're if they're all lawyers, Um, they're all, they all think like a lawyer first. Like if you go to law school and become a lawyer and are a successful lawyer, you think like a lawyer before you think like anything else. And so you can fill a room full of lawyers from around the world, but you're just really going to have one type of person, which is lawyer.
0: Hmm.
1: And so you, you know, when you're looking at a, at a, at, at a spread of ideas or a like true sort of interesting, um, like bell curve of people you should be looking out out at the fringes in three dimensions mhm but yale didn't yale just wasn't wise enough maybe they didn't have the resources to to scour every high school
0: maybe it was a rebuilding year you know be, yeah, maybe you know what maybe maybe they just were not on their game and you know bad on them yeah, they let me To not, to to not know that you were out there and should be there, whether you knew it or they knew it or not. Well, and you know
1: what? Here, I blame my Uncle Jack oh, because
0: he's the fucking Yale legacy. His,
1: oh, right. his daughters went to Yale, both my cousins. They all were looking out for themselves, looking yeah. out for each other. It's kind of typical. But when it was time for Uncle Jack to call up the local Yale representative, whom I knew, mm. it was. Sheffer Ely's dad, Bob Ely, was the Yale guy who interviewed the kids in Anchorage who were going to Yale. Bob fucking Ely. Bob Ely, who incidentally got in trouble with the SEC himself later, but that's a different that's story. That's
0: a different story, yeah.
1: Bob Ely, but the thing is they were all contemptuous of me, even my own people. None of them understood me. Bob Ely especially wouldn't have. Sheffer... <laughs> Shepard went to the fucking international school in Switzerland because he couldn't even get into a fucking American college. But then he went to the University of B- Vermont later. Another safety school. Yeah. So I feel like everybody let me down. My whole clan let me down. God, what a disappointment, John. Yeah. Have you, Jack- have, you,
0: have you found it in your heart to forgive everyone for, mm, for obviously this? Obviously not. I'm no. Talk, I'm talking with my teeth. Arr, you're so Uncle, committed.
1: I'm sure Uncle Jack and Bob Ely sat around and they were like, are there any kids in, in Anchorage that, should, that just should go to Yale? And they looked at each other,
0: and they knew. Oh, it didn't even need to be said. Yeah. And then they were, and then, and then they checked the box, no. Mm. Now, what about your dad? What was his feeling on this? Because he, he always knew you were destined for great things, right? Yeah, well, so my dad was of two minds,
1: like, like his son, right? Always of two minds. And one of them was, there's nothing he hated worse than a preppy, snob son of a bitch.
0: Your dad was always a man of the people. He was standing he, there in, in the trenches with the unions. He was always pulling right. for the little guy. That's right. And he didn't like a preppy snob son of a bitch. He always told the
1: story. He was down in Palm Springs at a party, and George Weyerhaeuser was there, and the, the you know the Boeings were there, and the, it was all the old guard. And he's standing around, cocktail party. Somebody walks over, and he goes, hey, David, nice to see you. How's the Communist Party? Mm-hmm. Have I told that story before? I think so. I, I'd hear it again. Yeah, it's a great story. How's, it, how's, it, how's the Communist Party, David? Oh, man, he was mad. He was mad because, you know... It's a little, little, little reductive. It's a little, bit of a, it's a little bit of a slur. So, so dad didn't like a, a preppy son of a bitch, but the best way to deal with them is to get into their club and then not be one of them. Mm-hmm. To get tapped for skull and bones and not do it and say no say no cuz you're not a smart You want to affect that kind of change you're going to have to get
0: inside to get to the server and crack the encryption.
1: That's right. So, you know, so dad obviously wanted uh wanted me to but he, but but that this is the thing they all wanted me to get in there on on merit.
0: Mm. And it seems just, a little on the nose.
1: Well, and they just have such a narrow definition of merit. D- grades. Yeah, tests, grades, behavior. Yeah. <laughs> you know and and not looking at the bigger picture which is like light in the eyes which is fucking rainbow double triple
0: rainbow triple rainbow eyes and and again this gets us back to the problem it's like again we're back to the problem with uh, you being a retired general or the retired mm-hmm. director of the CIA mm-hmm. it's like they don't need another foot soldier they need somebody to reform the organization from the inside out and the top down and, and really in every conceivable direction, you have the vision for that. They don't, they don't need another person sitting there like That's spying right. on somebody in East Germany. They need somebody setting everybody straight.
1: So this is something I, I realized last night because I went to this new James Bond movie. Oh, dear. And, you know, the nadir of James Bond movies was Skyfall.
0: What the fuck
1: are you saying? Wor- worst James Bond movie by far. Even I, think, the, I think we have a bad connection. Even the worst Roger Moore. Even the, George, the
0: sky fall. Even the Let George Lazenby. Fall. You're so fucking high. Skyfall's great.
1: No, it's awful. It's, too, it's truly terrible.
0: It, it, the, the whole thing?
1: It's an abortion. What, what about when he takes his teeth out? It's very freaky. Doesn't yeah. belong in a James Bond movie. Hmm. All right. In any case, hmm. so I go to the new one and I'm like, all right, Skyfall was the bottom. And now this can't be worse. So it has to either be like on a plane with it or a, or a, an improvement. But I'm going to go into this assuming this is going to be terrible. And then the movie unfolds and it is better than Skyfall. Uh. Um, but still like. Just, just dull. I mean, I'm in a James Bond movie and I'm, I'm looking at my watch. Oh, that's no good. You don't want that. No, because it's just like, really, you guys. And then I realized what my uh, one of my callings. Are you ready for this? Yeah. This is just. This was like a fucking bell going off in you my. You had a head. lot of time to think about your future. Well, because I'm sitting in a movie and I'm like, what am I going to think about? Clearly, not the plot of this movie. Hmm. And then I realized I. And I was put on this planet to be a script doctor for action movies. Oh. see, I don't want a script doctor a comedy
0: Mm-mm.
1: because when a, when a comedy when a good comedy movie like I can I can sit in a movie that's a bad comedy and go, "Oh my God, this was fucking terrible. It's this hard
0: is. to fix a comedy if it
1: doesn't have good bones yeah, exactly and but the, and, and the difference is when a good comedy is happening. You don't even know I, you're watching a movie. You don't even well, notice. And I'm just swept up just like anybody. I'm I'm I can't believe it's happening either. You know? I I, I don't see where the, the seams are. I go, Oh my God, this is fucking fantastic. Did you see that movie Spy? Uh, yeah, I watched
0: the first half of it yeah I i've like heard that. i've heard it gets better as you're watching it it does it gets better. I love, in- I love that lady i wish she she made better choices i think she's one uh melissa mccarthy is one of the comic geniuses of our time melissa
1: mccarthy just steals that movie she's hilarious throughout the thing and i walked into that with my nose already crinkled up like i was she's in an this is not
0: entirely accurate but it's a it's a little bit like will ferrell or or uh, uh eric wareheim where like there are certain people who are just fucking funny like Eric Wareheim in that Aziz Ansari show. Like just just when he's on screen, just when they show his face, I start laughing. Yeah. Will Ferrell, I just start laughing. Liz McCarthy, I just start laughing because they're just basically funny. They have an energy. Certain people have an energy that they can make even the shittiest things super funny just by standing there. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, that's not to diminish shot. her. That's not to diminish her talents, which are many. But she is just basically funny. So yeah. I hope she chooses things that are worthy of her funniness.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's the problem with funny. Like John Belushi he made a lot of terrible movies 1941
0: did you see that uh the wedding movie with uh Kristen wig did you see her in that what's it called oh, yes. bridesmaids yeah. yeah yeah i did see that i was utterly utterly unprepared for how funny that movie was very funny movie it's got it's got it's funny all through but it's got and she keeps that thing running but there are four or five legitimately over-the-top set pieces that i think are pretty classic yeah right exactly. so spy but it's got, that, I it's got that pretty boy in it, right? It's got that yeah, it's as a Jude it. Law.
1: The thing is, every time that there's a dude on screen in that movie, the, the air goes out of the room. Yeah, they put a bunch of uh, they put a bunch of dudes in there to like. Oh, is Rose
0: a- is Rose Byrne in that too? I don't know the Oh, the the, the the pretty the pretty fancy lady from um from you know she's the one who's getting married in the mm-hmm. uh, the one with Dark hair. Oh yeah 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 she is yeah she's more of a McTaggart in the X Men movies. That is help? that right?
1: Uh, no, okay. it doesn't help, and also, I you know, I, I realized a long time ago I don't know the names of actors because I don't care about their lives. Okay, so Spy, oh, so sp- anyway, not Spy because mm. Spy was a good movie, and the thing is, what was good about it, I understood and appreciated, but I could not have done right. I couldn't have gone in there were parts of Spy where the script where it felt like the script was being written by a committee and one of the
0: people on the committee was hilarious. You can really sniff out the doctoring sometimes because mm-hmm. there will be hilarious little jokes amidst a not very funny plot and not very funny execution. And you can feel like, oh, this scene got doctored by Pat Noswell. probably helped with this or something, mm-hmm. right? Well, and like thir- the thing is
1: 30%, 35% of the movie Spy is hilarious. It's just that then 65% of the time the joke gets set up and then doesn't land. And it's not that the actors aren't landing it. It is that it is a badly executed, badly written joke. Mm-hmm. And you go, if you can do 35% of them so well, why didn't you just let that person write the whole fucking movie? But, but that, is not my, that is not my calling.
0: So is there, there's something different about the action movie genre where an action movie doctor mm-hmm. could come in. And you're, are, you, are you assuming good bones? Well, <clears throat> so every James Bond movie –
1: has, as it at its p- premise, right? I mean, the the basic foundation of James Bond is, is uh, are good bones. Here's this, here's the spy, and he's then there's a bad guy. It's just sort of you know, it's like you can start at a James Bond script and read it through, and there's always going to be good stuff in it. There's always an opening action sequence that, in the old days, kind of wasn't even related to the film. It's
0: like the opening sequence was it's just. Just to remind you that James Bond is an incredibly, uh, is an incredibly gifted badass. Yeah, right. And this he can is just the, ski off of stuff, or he can. There is lots of underwater, a lot of, a lot of shooting sharks and stuff, right?
1: And it was always the. It was. I mean, at least the the classic James Bond movies of my childhood. The opening of the film, the cold open,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was the end of his last mission before he begins the new mission. Right, and so it's. It can be a great little three-and-a-half-minute-long adventure movie, kind of like that wonderful scene at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, right? What
0: that, what's that open with? Uh, that's the one where they're hiding under the floor. Oh, my God. I love that movie. Right? Oh, my the- God. That scene. I've, I've seen that movie probably four times, and I still, I, I still find that scene incredibly riveting it's 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 horrible it's uh, it's so christophe waltz is so he's and the other guy the french guy so perfect so perfect because they don't overdo the whole like okay now let's show the people scared under the under the floor they just ignore them we know they're there the whole time yeah. and you're just like when is he gonna when's he gonna discover yeah. this or yep, when's yep. he gonna let you know that he knows it and the rest of the movie doesn't live up to it right just no it's definitely got moments though
1: It does. It does for sure. And that
0: final, there's something about the the horrificness of that final frame that I, (laughs) despite myself, I'm like, yes, (laughs) it's so awful. I cannot. I was rolling my eyes so hard
1: at that point that you could hear my eyes rolling in the back of the theater. It sounded like bowling balls. Mm. My eyes were rolling so hard.
0: Anyway, th- yeah, but. you're right, but you're talking about like they the setup. It's yeah, this is this is a classic uh, trope and I think Bond made this a thing, but now you start off your action movie with something that immediately grabs you. It might be a non-sequitur. Uh yeah. Batman, you take The Dark Knight. Starts out yeah. with the heist uh, at the beginning. Although, I mean, that's an example of like the non the great
1: non-sequitur, but it also relates to the rest of the movie, right? It's the, you're establishing this new character. Absolutely. Um. So so there are all these things that you can do in the James Bond movie where it's like, there's that and then there's, he's
0: got to go to Rome and he's got to go to somewhere. In he's the- got to get his gadgets. It's like Harry Potter. It's kind yeah. of the same each time. You got to get ready for school. In this case, you got to go. He's got to meet with M. He's got to have a visit with Q with some yep. fun stuff in the background. Yep. There's got to be a gadget in a car. Somebody's got to say, James,
1: you can't do this. You are James, you're on suspension. Yeah, and then he goes, and then he's like, somehow has access to unlimited funds. Oh, and also a woman has to die. A woman has to die. Yeah, and there's got to be, you know, there's got to be sexy times. Mm, uh, Jill Masterson. So, so yeah, the bones are always there. The question is, how do you flesh that out? And Mm -hmm. the the and what's great about Casino Royale is that it's all fleshed out exactly the way you want it, right? The
0: And it's gritty. You know, it's, it, they, they, they successfully made the transition to a gritty yeah. James Bond. It's a younger – like it's supposed to be – isn't that supposed to be the, the start? That's when he starts. That's when he's getting his double-O, right? Yeah, that's the, that, it's the, that a good it's movie. the
1: reboot. It's the reboot. It's the one where Spock is young and cute and Kurt k-
0: Oh, right. He's eating the apple wall during Kobayashi Maru. Right. Got it. There you go. So
1: uh, so, but, but so I'm watching this film, and I'm just sitting in there. I'm just ticking off like, you know what? All you needed to do to make that scene work was this. Mm-hmm. And you didn't do this. I cannot even fathom how you didn't. It's staring you in the face. And to choose anything else but to do this is to miss the entire game like to is to not is to fundamentally not understand how James Bond movies work hmm. and who are there were 800 people involved in the production of this film and no one in a position of authority could stand up and say hey um, what if we just did the most obvious thing right now which would improve the movie and like and it does it wouldn't even it's not expensive it wouldn't even it's just a, it's like you're a lot you're talking about like, like a plot point. Just a tiny little. It's not even a. It's not even. There, there, are some plot points where you go. Uh, we got all the way here. We've spent we've spent eighty million dollars or a hundred million dollars making this movie. Two hundred and forty five million. We spent two hundred and forty five million dollars making this movie, and the entire film hinges on a moment where James, with his pistol, shoots at two hundred yards. An inexplicable valve. That is connected to an oil refinery, or he, he, something. He hits most of a football field in length with his uh, with his pistol, with his pistol, and, and that's, a, and, that's a pretty good shot. And hits like a hits a, a valve, which there is no explanation for the existence of, mm. of which there is no explanation. Daily for valvina. existence, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so then all of a sudden, there's a scene that's like taken directly out of. Uh, out of road warrior two let's call it mm-hmm. where you're just like, why is this happening? There is no, this was supposed to be a solar. It's, it is in the two seconds before it is revealed to be a solar powered facility. As they are walking across the facility, it is revealed to be solar powered. Mm-hmm. And that is supposed to communicate to us that it is techno. It's tech techno town. <laughs> but then right in the center, there's a valve on a pipe, which Shooting it once causes the entire facility to explode
0: into an oil fire. Oh, you got the Death Star problem. Come on. Yeah, that's a, that one vulnerability.
1: Yeah, it's just like it's just. We really like should have put some
0: kind a of a box shooting, around that.
1: Shooting womp rats, you know. <laughs> you talking about that in Bakers Canyon? Talking about it in Bakers Canyon was just you're just nailing womp rats. bigger than two meters. <laughs> so what I'm saying is bullshit. <laughs> and you could just—it could just be something else. You know what I mean? It could just be something else. It doesn't have to be that. Mm-hmm. It's just something else. There's a there's a, a control panel inside where the solar power—you know, you turn the knob and the solar power goes out of control because solar power—and you, you don't mess redir- with that stuff. No, it redirects the sun's rays into some kind of collector that overheats, and that it causes it to explode. Just don't fucking bullshit me with the shoot a valve. So, there's 40 moments like that in the film oh. where you just go, all you needed was a script doctor to just go through this with a comb and say, so. so you can, you can
0: definitely admit then that uh, Skyfall is definitely a better movie. So, Skyfall
1: had so much of this in it where you're just like, wrong, mm. wrong, wrong, wrong. That, the, the, the villain could be, the villain's great. I mean, I love the actor. Love him. And the whole, like, but the entire film and all this guys like it was his, all a trap all along that that it he was he wanted all, to be caught he wanted was, to be caught it was all because he was mad uh, he was all he was mad at m because she was the mom that she was a bad mom
0: mm-hmm. like no!
1: no 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 she let him have, she let him die have a better fucking idea at the center of the movie it wouldn't even take that much you just sit and think about it for another 2 minutes it's not that he's mad at M. He's mad at M. It's, you know he's mad at something. Sure, he's a villain, mm. but he's not destroying the world because he's mad at his mom. Like that's he's mad at his not even mom. He's no, mad, he's at, mad at, at his mom. His mom. You know? No, 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 no. It's gotta be. He's gotta be even. He's gotta either be crazier than he is to justify that, or the or the crime has to be worse. Yeah, but, don't
0: you like the, the rats in a barrel speech? Oh, isn't that great?
1: It's nice, and whatever the mercury poisoning—I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in that. And there is
0: cyanide, John. Whatever. And there's then, a- and then, but then there's that weird homoerotic thing where James Bond's in the chair and he's coming up, and he's got all his mainframes going and do do doo do You didn't like that? What about the lady with the shot glass? Did you like no, that? No, no, no. I didn't like those because if you oh. compare it to Casino Royale,
1: where they are literally, they are torturing his balls. <laughs> They're torturing his balls in a way that. That legitimately feels like torture. Yes. Every time they whack him under that chair with that thingamabobber.
0: They're not just uh, inconveniencing him with a chair.
1: No, no, no. They're whacking his balls really, really hard. that are hanging underneath his body, sitting in a chair with no bottom. Mm. So that's some fucking hardcore shit. What What about the parkour at the beginning? <laughs> I think of that you movie? just like ball smacking. Come on. Yes, I do like a little ball smacking. Sure. Well, actually, you know what, Merlin? What? To be all on- to be yeah. honest, I yeah. like a little ball
0: scalding. Oh, right. Like- this is sure. This is you're yeah. growing as a person when you're yeah. scalding. I'd like to scald the balls rather than whack them. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know what? Also, just uh, in terms of uh, our ongoing uh, continuity, you talked about Macau. A couple of weeks ago yeah. and i couldn't remember what i knew the name from and now i know what i know the name from
1: is it from a james bond movie
0: it's from skyfall oh, let sky skyfall. That's, another, that's
1: another scene where they set it up so well it's so
0: great and it's got the lady in it and they it's, and the, the gambling and the and the bag full of money you love a bag full of money i do love a bag full of money but then
1: the the end of that is just too it's just the guy falls into the the pit it's like it does oh, with the komodo even, dragon in it it doesn't even live up to i mean when you're talking about octopussy mm-hmm. right when you're talking about moonraker those are some scenes where the bad guy gets his come is that
0: up where the one where he runs across the alligators no that's yeah live and, is that live no, no, and let no, no. die Le- that's live and let die
1: no that's the one he falls <laughs> into the shark
0: tank he uh-huh. falls the that's the, the one where he's a clown Jaws falls into the shark tank. Oh, no, no, no. The sure. clown came later. The clown came later. That was that was yeah, kind of the the, the other the, thing is, I'm not sure how you scale up Grace Jones one. A casino. Mmm. Boy, I had a Playboy with her and uh, and Dolph Lundgren in it. Did you? In, do you remember? Early '80s. There mm-hmm. was a, sure do.
1: Yeah, that's right. There was a parody Playboy, and they only made one issue, as far as I know. But it was a it was a it was full on parody of Playboy, where they had nakedness in it. It was that it was the National Lampoon era. Mhm. And I got a hold of this parody and the the centerfold was Princess Diana.
0: Ooh, jeez. And they had
1: superimposed Princess Diana's head on a a naked lady. And for me at That's age, the kind of thing you send James Bond out for. Right? At age 12, I was very affected by this. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, but it was a little awkward too, because you know Princess Diana, she was good. She was. She was. Good. She was a candle was, in the wind. Yeah, she was a good girl, and you didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, you didn't
0: yeah, want yeah, def- to. Sure. Yeah,
1: sure. You didn't want to defile
0: her. Mm-mm, you got to save that for later when you're when you're older, a little more uh, broken inside. That's right. That's right. And at that age, I still was pure as the wind. Got to save the innocence for later.
1: So, action movie script doctor now. <laughs> There are a lot of guys out there and, and gals, too, presumably, who have that job. They're on the list. And people are like, huh, this, movie, this script isn't that good. What do we do? Let's call the script doctor. And let's leave the comedy script doctors aside. Let's find the action movie script doctors. But whoever those people are, they're doing a fucking terrible job. Mm. Because action movies are, by and large, terrible. They don't have the snap and crackle. Of the, the where the script is alive because there's this sense of like we can't make it too smart. It's got to it's got to be like at the six year old boy level here. Except we're going to show incredible violence right. that no child should ever witness. Yeah, you don't want to think about the plot too much. And so when you see it, when you see an action movie that where the script does crackle, you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, my god, thank you. Yeah, and I could do that job. And the problem is. Just like getting into Yale, mm-hmm. those people are not looking outside of their, of their like patrimonious Ugh. rolodex. It's a kind of it's kind of a sickening professional myopia. No one is listening to this podcast, Mm-mm. and no one, none of those people are real. Or if they are listening to this podcast, they're not
0: identifying themselves in it's, it. Uh, it's all, all too Sarah calls interpolation. They don't know you're talking about them. I'm talking to them. You're talking to them specifically. And there's there's somebody listening. You need to this a podcast doctor. Call right the now. doctor
1: that's right and they're like there it's probably michael bay is listening to this podcast mm. and he's like did they just say my name mm-hmm. i've been a loyal roderick on uh, listener from the beginning mm-hmm. and i've been making transformer movies or whatever and i've been doing a shitty
0: job of it and i don't know what to do about it Yeah, also did that rob Corgi movie with the rock
1: oh i didn't see that that's pretty i know good. Ro-
0: i know rob's a good rob friend. took me to the premiere for that it was really weird i saw michael bay super weird really yeah is he a tall guy Michael Bay? Michael Bay no he's he's kind of dolorous he kind of looks like Sam Shepard meets Werner Herzog but sadder mm. he's got a certain he's got a heaviness to him that does sound like a lot of dolor <laughs> he's
1: dolorous <laughs> I uh, 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 Sam Shepard for me will always be Chuck Yeager
0: Sam Shepard. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Who's who's the stranger in The Big Lebowski?
1: Yeah, he's the one with the mustache. Sam Uh, Shepard, who am I confusing him with? Sam Peckinpah. Sam
0: Rockwell. He's the one who dances in Iron Man.
1: Sam Rockwell was the one that was alone on the spaceship and he was full of himself. The spaceship was literally full of himself.
0: Funny thing, uh, yesterday was, as you know, Sunday's Daddy Daughter Day. uh, In my ongoing mission to ruin my child, I decided to take her to see a film called The Martian. (gasps) And we showed up at the theater and that place is usually just dead, dead, dead like Trotsky on on, on a Sunday uh, late morning. The theater literally has has an ice ice pick pick in its eye. Yeah, it's it it was it's usually completely dead. You can just walk right into the theater. You walk right out of the concessions, whole nine. This place was packed to the gills. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, we'd already bought our ticket. We were kind of already in, you know. Uh, oh, and she's like... Boom,
1: boom, 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 boom. Yep,
0: yep, 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 yep. They, and I went and looked it up on the Fandango, and they had, like, almost all of the theaters, like, like probably half the theaters were showing some version of mm. Spectre. Mm. It was crazy. So right. it's too
1: late to spoiler alert, right? Because anybody that's been listening this far...
0: Knows it's either, a piece of shit?
1: Has either seen it <laughs> or is... Like screaming, totally, screaming at the doctor, totally screaming at me and saying, "Why are you telling me this? I, I'm going to go to this movie and I'll I'm bet going there's to a
0: terrific twist that you haven't revealed yet." Oh, fantastic! Oh, oh, gosh! So All the great twists, twists. <laughs> twists and turns.
1: I didn't see that coming. <laughs> what he? What? <laughs> uh, there, but there are, there are have, you, have you seen the
0: Martian? Have you seen the Martian? I did see the Martian. Holy shit! Uh, the Martian was fantastic. It looks so, I mean, setting aside the fact that it's just, it's fucking great in every way, but like just the way it looks, it feels like a new kind of movie. Like does, something about the, I can't quite describe it. I don't know what part of the production design to put my finger on, but like it looks, it looks different. I ate it with a spoon.
1: Uh, it, it was the Instagram filter that they chose. I think they used uh, Rising or something or. Uh, oh,
0: yeah. I got to get on that. The, yeah. the, uh, the thing is, it looked, it might have been like they were doing the, um, High frame rate or something like that. But mm-hmm. there was something about it. Anyway, don't want to get Crystal That's for another clear. show. That's for another show. But, My uh, only problem with The Martian. Oh, boy. Here we go. Science fiction movie no, script no, no, doctor. No, 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 no.
1: It was great. It was great. They should not have cast the talented Mr. Ripley at the store. Oh, whoa. That's crazy talk. No, no, no. I don't <sighs> think. I, don't, I, I just picture, picture that mm-hmm. same exact movie, exactly mm-hmm. the same movie, mm-hmm. but with Matthew McConaughey in the star. Wars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> that's, that's who belonged there. Why you got to ruin your show like that? No, Why you got to do that crazy talk? No, well, it shouldn't be There's magical. a pattern. You got it. You got it. Murph, there's a pattern of sand and some moving books. No, I want I'm going to gonna sand uh, the shit out of this.
1: I wanted. Here's the, here's the other thing that they can't do. They can't open a huge movie like that with an unknown actor at the center.
0: Well, I thought he was terrific. I mean, you know, the only thing is in the book, there's a lot more ner- nerdy math, mm-hmm. which I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not even uh, an arithmetician, but uh, I really loved, and I, I was saying to my daughter after, like, did you notice like how much like arithmetic, how much math he had to do? And it was it like, you started happened. to realize how fun it was. Well, first of all, it's very funny. It's a very funny movie too. It's not like a, like a baggy pants movie. A lot of, I mean, it's a thriller, it's sci-fi, it's funny, but just all of I was Like, did you notice honey, how much there's like math and then a decision and then mm. math and a decision and like, this is not a spoiler, but, but basically the you science. Know, well, but he's got to go like, okay, uh, so problem, like there's like five different ways this is that I'm probably going to die here like which one of these can I do. Okay, let's focus on this one thing. Yep. I could turn the spaceship into a farm. Mm. Math. I could get math. this many meters out of this. Okay, decision. Do I want to do that? Well, do I have enough water to do that? Math. How do I make more water? If I make more water, I still need my 50 liter supply. But it just I loved it. It was yeah, so fun. Math. Oh, that scene where he
1: where he where he seals the he seals the pod with plastic sheeting and then he's laying in bed and there's a, a Martian's dust storm and oh the God. sheeting is going whack whack
0: whack and you're like it was no! so, so lonely and he's packing up everybody's stuff. Uh, I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but it was right in the pocket for me. So it, here's, here's,
1: where, here's where it shouldn't have been Matt Damon. Oh.
0: There
1: is, there's an idea at the center of that movie, which is that the reason he survived was that he was an optimist. At any point along the way, a pessimistic personality, not not a not a pessimistic occupation, you know, but a pessimistic personality. Right, right. There could have been a person with the same exact uh, resume, all those math skills, who in that first moment laid down and said, Well, that's it for me. And at any point along the way, laid down and said, Well, I just blew up the space station the and I and I cannot rebuild it. And so I am going to open my helmet and die. Mm-hmm. But his unfailingly optimistic can-do Johnny-on-the-spot like Navy pilot mentality was the thing that saved him ultimately. Like the math skills, yes, but it was the fact that he was had a cheerful disposition. Mm-hmm. And so that idea and the idea that we pick astronauts from this category of people who are – indefatigable, who are just like thumbs up can do, who are who are in the world actually kind of annoying. Like they they are annoying to work with these people. They're annoying to be in relationships with, but they are that but they are a tool in the human toolkit. Mm-hmm. And we need to identify those people and employ them. Like that idea wasn't quite explored enough and I think part of that reason is that Matt Damon isn't actually that guy in his own life. So he's communicating this like yippy skippy thing but it's not in his eyes.
0: Uh, I, I ain't no Hollywood script doctor, but I'll tell you what I, what I like about it. And I got this whole conversation. I can't help thinking about Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright movies, um, which we should talk about someday. But in this instance, uh, I thought the economy of storytelling in this was very good because there are so many different rabbit holes. They could have gone down, including like, I mean, you had to just take a lot of stuff as read and just kind of buy in or not. Uh, including the fact that there's people on Mars, which we have not done yet as far as we know. But uh, all along the way, I thought they were really good at just having what they needed to have in there to tell this particular story. And Mm -hmm. if they'd gone off into too much of like a Dark Knight of the Soul thing in a way that wasn't good for the movie, it would not have been as good. So I admired uh, when I see an adaptation like that and like I say the book is way nerdier uh in some ways. And there's still a lot of exposition for explaining things to dinglings like me, but like I like I admired their restraint in keeping it focused on the story that needed to be told when there could have been a million different rabbit holes to go down and just kind but, of alluding to different things. But
1: the whole story, the whole story is I mean the the tension of the movie the entire time is you're thinking to yourself, "Would I not would I know the math to do this because yeah you're asking yourself Would that you question. would you
0: even just how long would you even entertain the completely fantastical idea that you might survive this thing? You're smart enough to know how impossible the situation is. Like what would it take to actually then try and do something to save yourself?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, right? what what do you do what do you do 180 days in? When you wake up one morning and you go, you know what? I just don't have it in me today.
0: Well, and it's again, it's more math and decisions, math and decisions, math and decisions. Because if you say to yourself, "Well, okay," his his plan was obviously pretty um, pretty ambitious. Mm-hmm. So if it were me, and obviously I would never make it onto a spacecraft for a variety of reasons, I I, I, I pee, pee and poop a lot. I'd be bad. Mm-hmm. I would make a lot of compost, but also. Uh, anyone who was too conservative in thinking about how to stay alive in the short term, short to medium term, would be dead meat. You would have to think about what resources you're willing to sacrifice that could keep you around longer. Like how do you level your resources in a way that lets you do this thing that seems impossible? That takes a, that's a huge leap of, of imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See McConaughey. Are there other movies, if you if you, if you can say, are there other movies that we remember Matt Damon for? Where Matthew McConaughey would be, would be better? Do you see him in in a, in a Born Supremacy? A born no, ide- no, no, A no, no, Born no, no, Identity. No. I
1: see. I, the, this is an example of Matt, uh, Matt Damon is great in the Born Supremacy, Born Identity born, because yeah,
0: a Born Identity is one of my favorite movies.
1: It's a great movie, and when you look at Matt Damon and you look at him being a very internal actor, he belongs in that movie. He's he, I buy him as a, as like a robot killer who has lost his memory and is just trying to figure it like, but he has a, but there's a moral center to him where he's trying to figure it out and he's making moral decisions within the context of this. But every once in a while, somebody comes in a window and tries to kill me and I kill them. So I'm not a normal guy. Uh, but like there but there's a moral compass to him like I buy him in that mm-hmm. uh, and that's what and I and I buy him in the talented Mr. Ripley where it's like he is <laughs> he's the ugly guy <laughs> there's something really <laughs> ugly about him but but I, what I don't buy uh, is Matt Damon as the like Pollyanna. Uh, the Pollyanna super scientist.
0: Don't you think that kind of being a Pollyanna in that situation would not be reasonable that you would have to have that balance of what you call optimism. Uh, I don't know if I call it optimism exactly, but there's certainly like a a lot of realism to figuring out like what resources you level to stay alive and do this incredibly ambitious stuff, like digging up the nuclear reactor or whatever.
1: But this is the thing. It's realism of a kind. It's, you know, it's the, it's, Uh, the type of person who has never sat down and said humans are pig dogs and there's no point. And if you've ever thought that you're never going to make it through a scenario like the Martian Mm -hmm. because that thought will creep in when your farm blows up and you're just like, you know what? I gave this a good try. I gave this a good try, but ultimately my survival isn't that important. And so I'm gonna like spare everyone, myself included, this fucking travail. Mm-hmm. But he does—he that never occurs <laughs> to him. His survival is like—is uh, now he's got a new
0: plan. Which I is do not want to be in your script doctor meetings. <laughs> telling you, telling me,
1: I would be—I would—I'm the guy that would be fucking throwing uh, cronuts at people. <laughs> I,
0: you, you even brought a cronut into this meeting? <laughs> Stop right there! Stop talking. Whack! <laughs> cronut there i want to see it in his
1: eyes i want to see it in his eyes that he has never had a deep thought in his life i want to see that in his eyes because that is because that's the key to this and the, and likewise in the james bond movie i want to see in all of their eyes more than i'm getting mm. and I, what and what that would require was that when they first ran through the script it made any sense at all mm. because There are a lot of great actors in that movie that are being pretty wasted, pretty wasted because they are being given some dumb shit to do. You know that feeling where it's like, oh, I I got dumb shit to do.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't
1: stand it. Mm. So action movie script doctor Mm -hmm. is another one of the jobs that I will deign to take if only the world is constructed in why, such why a way Why are people
0: that, not approaching you for these I know, things? I don't know.
1: I went to that billionaire party with you, mm. and not, there wasn't a single billionaire that walked up and said, will you be the CEO of my company? Mm. And, they, I, and I was right there. I was in their fucking laps. They're certainly familiar with your work. Well, so to, to varying degrees. And different, different kinds of work. I mean, if Elon Musk is at all scrobbling, which I got to assume he is— Sure. He's, he's, got a, he's got a room full of scrabblers. Sure. He's got a, probably got a dedicated wing of scrobblers. Right. And they are scrobbling through all the podcasts looking for Elon Musk references, just like Courtney Love at a magazine stand in 1997, where it's just like, let's see, flip, my, flip. Let's see my picture. <laughs> Miss Love, his. this is not a library. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, Courtney, look, look. I found you in Teen Beat. Let's get it. Oh, my God. I look so fat. You are Elon Musk. You are scrobbling all the podcasts, looking for references of of he's uh, hungry references. for ideas, John, hungry, right? And so he has to have listened to every episode of this program where we have discussed him as a as an archetype, at least by proxy. He's aware of it, right? And sure. so, or somebody on his team is somebody on his team is presenting to him on papyrus uh, a list of of references that we have made to him and some of the ideas that he needs a little script doctoring on, mm-hmm. and. He's what, and I'm at, I'm at a fucking surrealist party with him and he's wearing some kind of feathered headdress and I'm just dressed like a normal person, which is ultimately the most surreal costume Mm. and he doesn't walk over. Mm -mm. He just, he stands over there and waits for me to approach him. No, (sighs) no, no, no. no. He doesn't understand how this works. He doesn't, they fundamentally don't understand how it works. And I think it's because it's programming culture as well. You think think it's the programming? I think it's programming. Mm-hmm. I think they're programmed to not know how to not be programmed.
0: So, I mean. If they you're want you're sp- here. You're here. You will pick up the phone sometimes. If they, Well. How should they contact you, John? Is there a way you would prefer to be contacted by the people who need help for things? Yeah. Text me later. I heard you give out your address on a podcast the other day. It was my office address. Oh, and it might not even be real. It might be another office. It might be a, uh, what do you call it? A double blind, a pigeon drop.
1: Yeah, it's like an office. First of all, the address is completely unbelievable. There is no Seattle Boulevard in Seattle. Oh, it's that a trap be, street. That'd be kind of idiotic, right? But that's my address, and it actually works. The letters do get to me. You can't your say letters how. will get to me, mm-hmm. or or the the various gifts, the the socks that people send you. The socks, the gifts. What I you know what I said on the other podcast was, yeah. I will entertain any of your gifts.
0: I if think you your, are, your only, if I heard correctly, your only proviso was. Don't send me a living thing unless it's been uh, prepa- prepared and preserved. Yeah, right. I mean, like, if don't it, it, send a dead beaver unless it's mounted or the bones have been bleached. Thank you.
1: Exactly. <sighs> yeah. But otherwise, if you are an artisanal maker of some kind and you would like to test your product out on me mm-hmm. and hear my true thoughts about it, absolutely, fucking send it to me, mm-hmm. and I will, you know, I'll I'll put it through the paces or, or a script. If you want a script doctored, then mm-hmm. that's a thing. I mean, you know, the first couple of these, I'll do gratis. Are you kidding me? You would no, do no, that? No. I'd do it just to just to, just to demonstrate.
0: It's a just it's a public to, service because a lot of people are going to see these
1: movies and they're shit. What I want to do is I want to have the director make a movie. I want to, so for instance, you could make this uh, this uh, Spectre movie. They already did, and then everybody sees it, and then I doctor the script and we remake it. Oh, that's good. And then you, then that comes out six months from now, and then we just do a little bit of a side by side.
0: We'll see. We'll see what people think about that. And what we're talking about the you figure if it costs two hundred forty million to make the first one, it's like a it's like a Toyota. The second one's got to be cheaper. <laughs> exactly. They could reuse a lot of the parts. They could probably use sets. Some of the sets they could reuse. Uh, I guess I'm guessing you're going to get rid of the valve. But uh, he could, what's he got a Walter uh, PPK in this one? Uh, he, he 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 carries it. But so here's the uh,
1: here's the number one problem mm. of this movie. Too many pistols. Mm. Every problem in this movie is solved with a pistol. Now James Bond should be solving movies with, or should be solving problems in his movie with things other than a pistol. Like like mind bullets. He should be using mind bullets. He should be used. I mean, there's one moment where there's an exploding watch, but, uh, but the the, the stuff that the stuff that his uh, uh, that his Aston Martin does is all stuff from Thunderball.
0: I've, exactly heard, I've heard. I've heard it said there's some recycling in. It's meant to look like a haha throwback, but it's actually a little bit recycling. People.
1: There say. is. A, there is a moment. There is a moment where I actually was grabbed. Like, oh, that's pretty. That's that's. I didn't even say, oh, that's pretty good. I was like, oh, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but there, there's like, there's, oh, so many missed opportunities. And the biggest one is don't let James Bond solve every problem with a pistol. Give him some shit. To monkey with, and let him also show some of his math and science skills. I was gonna say, let him let him science the shit out of some spy work. He can science the spy stuff just as much, as, just as well as Bourne can, mm-hmm. right? And he should be setting that. But at, at every at every turn, it's not even always his Walther. He's taking pistols off of people. He's finding pistols lying around. You can, you can
0: really overdo the pistols,
1: and then <laughs> and yeah. so. The, the climax of the film, I'm not even talking about him shooting the valve. The climax of the film involves him in a moving vehicle shooting at a moving target at a distance of hundreds of yards with a pistol and we are meant to believe it because he shoots four times and doesn't accomplish it. Mm. And then the fifth one he really aims, you know? He like gives the squinty eye and he's like this is my last shot. And he really aims and and he accomplished it. He puts a bullet into the mouth of a sparrow <laughs> at 600 yards and doesn't kill the sparrow. It just goes down and comes out its butt. <laughs> that is the implausibility of that shot. And uh-huh. it's just like, that's the this this is the climax?
0: That's got to be a hard time for gun enthusiasts right now. There's so much confusing stuff out there. I feel bad
1: for them. I really do. Mm. I uh, On the one hand, I want to make it very hard to own a gun in America.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want there to be a lot of hoops you have to jump through. I want there to be tests. I want it to be a thing that you get a license that seems absolutely reasonable that that should be the case. What, what and if, I say that as a gun owner.
0: Well, what if, they, uh, what if they gave you a license, but it's really, really, really big and you have to carry it? Hmm. Like what, what if it's the size of like a child science project?
1: What if you have to, what if the, the license has to be in a frame and you have to wear it around your
0: neck? That's pretty good. Or you can wear it like a sandwich board but in a way Uh that would prevent Uh you from using a gun because you got to carry the fucking license. I have a gun
1: license, and here it is. You can clearly see it. It's around my neck. Mm -hmm. I do believe that these are tough times for gun owners because their completely unlicensed nature, the fact that you can have as many guns as you want, causes a lot of confusion for gun owners. Mm -hmm. They need some limitations Mm. in order to clarify really the guns they absolutely have to own. You know, they should look at their guns and say, does this gun bring me joy? Oh, sure. If not, clean it out of your closet, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And just keep the guns that really bring you joy, enough joy that it's worth it to you to go through what will probably be an onerous amount of rigmarole, kind of equivalent to getting a motorcycle license.
0: I think you should... Not be allowed to have more guns than friends you've spoken to personally in the last week. Oh, wow. That's a
1: tough standard. I know.
0: You know, somebody said to me, oh, you know who it was? It was the
1: psychiatrist I'm going to see. Oh, okay. This is a little bit, you know, this is giving away mm-hmm. quite a bit. Sure. I wouldn't have said this when I was running for office because you don't want to admit any weakness in public. Nobody running for office goes to a doctor. None none whatsoever. You shouldn't need they're, it. They're already Perfect. But uh, I have gone to a psychiatrist now twice, mm. which is – which more than uh, – That's more than all the other times put together. More than all the other times in my life put together. And at one point – and I, and I think he's kind of a ding But at yeah. one point he said, you know, you can only have five close friends. And you can only know 100 people. Ugh. And I was like, that's interesting uh, that you probably read that in Psychology Today in a 1986 issue. Turns out. But I know, I know, a thousand people by name, and like, and uh, and I consider them. That's friends. just the waitresses. I consider them <laughs> friends. Like I know five thousand people on site, and twenty five hundred of them I don't know well enough to know whether they're a friend or not. But like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I have, I have, more than five close friends. If, if. If I am capable of having a close friend,
0: let's just say that Mm -hmm. Merlin man is my close friend. Those are two very different issues. So it's one thing like that thing sounds, that sounds a little cute. It's very cute. It's very cute. The whole profession is cute. Yeah.
1: I get that. Cutesy little things like that. Like it's only possible if you, if you, if you bend over and tie your shoelaces with your left hand, that means that your mother didn't pet your knee when she was disciplining you. Mr. Roderick, Mr. Roderick, look at your fingernails. <laughs> it's all it's all Ted Talk shit. It's total Ted Talk turns out bullshit. Yeah, Ted Talk turns out bullshit. <sighs> it makes me want to talk into my wallet. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to fucking answer a phone call in my wallet is what it makes me want to do. I'm sorry, I have to take this.
0: <laughs> I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that?
1: Hmm. Turns out. Turns
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> turns out. That the pressure (laughs) points in my feet
1: are related one, like related each to another, Mm -hmm. to my mustache hairs.